Gosh, welcome to Sunday. Here we are. So many words have been said, and we haven't even started yet. Um, I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm really distracted. Um, uh, a guy that's been uh, visiting our church came with us to the uh, Wild Game Supper. Uh, George, he just gave his life to the Lord, and uh, just prayed with him. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, but that's uh, <laughs> church. Hear me. Like this is why we talk about being one right? Like, there's so many stories uh, each of us could say of how you got here, right? Whether you were born here and you've never stopped being here and, like, you came out of the womb and they set you on the piano and you've never left, right? Or whatever your story is. Who could I be talking about? But, uh, <laughs> uh, or if you just walked in here. One Sunday, my wife and I walked in here. I didn't want to be here. I was upset with another church. I was done with just traditional church junk. I was like, I'm sick of this. And, and then my wife was like, I'm going to go to Memorial Baptist in the morning. I was like, I'm not going to a traditional Baptist church. But more than that, my pride said, don't be the man that doesn't go to church with his wife. So we walked in here. And here we are. Now I preach on Sundays. Like, we, no, 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 no. So here's the point. You don't know. You don't know what God's doing, right? And so, you know, George walks in here. He's giving his life to the Lord. He's trying to figure out what that looks like. And so if you're here today, whether you've been here for, you know, a hundred years or one moment, God's orchestrated that you're here for a reason. There's a reason why we're here. And, and I can't get past when we sing things like, I believe in the saints' communion in your holy church. The reason that line always moves me so much is because it is us as the body of Christ that's transforming this world. Not by being spectators who sit here and consume and then casually walk out with the rest of our lives. Forget that trash. We're here for Jesus Christ as one. We do this together. And people aren't coming to know the Lord just because of our church attendance. They're coming to know the Lord through our love, through the way that we ripple out from here, right? And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being disciples, right? And discipleship is one of these tricky topics. Any topical sermon gets really tricky because it's kind of like, hey, this is a pattern throughout the whole Bible, so just open the Word, and we'll just read from it and, and preach from anywhere, right? Discipleship is this overarching idea that you're taking every part of your life and submitting it towards King Jesus because He has all authority. And you're saying, hey, it turns out that the best possible way to live is to live as God called us lives. He created us to live. And we understand that through discipleship, being Jesus' disciples. We talked about a couple weeks ago how a, a quick understanding of discipleship is in first century one who was a disciple followed someone their rabbi so closely that they were covered in the dust of their sandals we want to be following jesus so closely that we taste like him we marinate in jesus so we take on his flavor those things come out of our life this is the idea of modern. so we looked at these different words and we're talking about these different things modeling time moments and milestones because we work for that if you're like me and you're a rampant wild westerner who does whatever I want, who has all the freedom in the world, the idea of being shackled to one thing freaks you out. So you don't tell me how to live my life, right? And so we need these boundaries. We need to be thinking through things like, we could pick four words, whatever we want to pick, right? But we're choosing to talk about modeling time, moments, and milestones as ways to frame how do we talk about following Jesus? How do we do that individually? How do we do that with families? And we have some understanding of this. Like as the church, we understand we need each other, or we should, right? We come from a Western, uh, a Western society where we have a democratic nation called America, the United States, right? You guys live there. There was a big vote last year about who was our president. You guys remember that? You, got, you were here for that? Okay, good. Sorry, you guys are acting like you've never been to America before. Here we are. Welcome. This is Missouri. It's kind of in the middle. America, right? I got to slow down. Some of you got to catch up. Okay, 
So we're in America, and we do things where we would tell people, hey, your vote matters, right? And we tell them, you need to vote, you need to because your vote ripples in, and, and one person with the collection, and we get that it all matters. We do the same thing in family. We understand that one person in a family can really ruin an event. How many of you have that crabby aunt that just really brings down dinner? Huh? Huh? How many of you are that crabby aunt? Huh? Okay, that's rude. Uh, everyone's looking around now, like, who's the crabby aunt in their family? But we see that. The church is the same way. Your sin affects everyone else, right? Your discipleship affects everyone else. We're one body. And so anything you want to complain about in the world, it's your problem, it's the church's problem, it's our problem. What are we doing about homelessness? What are we doing about abortion? What are we doing about uh, the, the school system? What, pick a problem that you want to complain about with your friends, and then immediately you should ask, hold on, if King Jesus has all authority and I serve him, then that means as his disciple, I should be doing something about that. But if you think it's all about you, you're going to miss it. Because you're going to become selfish and prideful and you're going to do things for yourself to make yourself feel better. No, no, no. Now all of a sudden you start understanding a king and a kingdom. We worship a king and a kingdom and collectively we're all one. We're doing this together. This is called discipleship. This is why we're talking about it. And hopefully, through getting up here and talking about it over and over and over, our church grows into a posture of discipleship. When people give their life to the Lord, when people walk into our church, it's not just on our minds to think, okay, how do we get them here enough? How do we get them in this program, in this event, in these things? Now they're in the pathway of the framework of what it means to be a memorial, memorialian, memorialian, one of us. Instead of thinking that way, we think, how are they a disciple of Jesus? How do these people taste like someone who lives like Jesus is Lord, that he has all authority, that he's with us always? And the Bible clearly tells us what that looks like, right? There's several times where the greatest commandment is outlined. How do we do that, right? It's in Deuteronomy 6. That's what we talked about. Uh, it comes from the Shema, right? Hebrews used to pray this all through history. We're still praying it today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength. Love. And we're not talking this, this vague idea, love is love, whatever you make it. No, no, no. Love the Lord. So to love is to know the Lord. And the Bible tells us that God is love. And we understand what love is through his commitment and sacrifice. It's a constant pattern we see. And so when we're talking about discipleship, we're walking into it. We talked a couple weeks ago about modeling, right? Or last week? Man, it's been a long week. Last week we talked about modeling and how we need to have postures in life of love. If we don't in general have every part of our life coming back to loving the Lord, if people can't look at your life and the things you do in life and say, man, that person must love the Lord, then maybe we're missing discipleship. Because the Bible's pretty clear on these things. If you know God, if you seek God, if you're a Christian, you love him with everything you have. Jesus says this. He's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love others. That's what he says. And so we want to be doing these things. Um, we're going to stand together and read Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9 um, right now. And uh, uh, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to read it together, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to, going to get moving forward. Um, I know sometimes this reading together can be pretty difficult. Um, it's on the screen. I'm going to start it. If you feel like, you know, reading it very fast, you'll know quickly that you're wrong, and we'll just all try to get through this together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 
You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God, thank you for this day and that you've brought us together to read your word and to wrestle with what it means to love you. So, so many things that we want to pray for, so much brokenness and distraction and chaos and disorder in our lives. And you tell us that we're unified by your spirit. God, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would bring us together as your body and we would believe in that. We would believe that you've done that and we would walk in that. Teach us how to love you, God. May we believe in your great love for us and be transformed by that. I pray that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds this morning. Give us ears to hear. Love you, Father. Amen. You can be seated. All of life is pursuing loving the Lord. And, and, you know, as kind of a spoiler alert, every day I'm going to stand up here every Sunday and I'm going to teach how do we love the Lord? How do we follow Him with everything we have? Because you're going to forget it. I'm going to forget it. Monday rolls around, the busyness of Tuesday. This is why we're talking about time and moments today. Because you have a lot of moments in life and you have time all around you. And we, we get busy, we get arrogant, we get distracted, and we forget what it means to love the Lord. It's a big challenge. In fact, we talked a few weeks ago, I can't, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, by the way. You can turn to Ephesians 5 here in a minute, those of you uh, who grab a Bible. One of the big points of Ephesians is unity in Christ. Paul wanted all believers to know so passionately, you have a new humanity You are not this old, dead, decaying human that's corrupted, that's full of sin, that's heading towards death, destruction, and eternal damnation. That's not who you are. In Christ, you have a new humanity. And Ephesians wants us so bad. When Paul's writing this letter to the churches, he's saying, hey, you guys have a new humanity. You have freedom in Christ. You are unified by his spirit. Not as these individuals who passively come to church and then go about with the rest of your days because you've got a career and a 401k and a family life and everything else you've got to pursue. No, no, no. Every part of your life is unified in Christ. And we talked a couple weeks ago about how when Paul says those famous verses that we like to quote when we talk about demons and we talk about like, oh, our powers, the battle isn't against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities and spiritual forces. The reason Paul lists all that aggregate of stuff is because he's talking about, yes, malevolent forces like demons, but he's also talking about power structures like the evil that we give our country sometimes to make poor decisions, like the evil we give our jobs or our families to have corruption and chaos and disorder. Overall, Paul is convinced, in the Bible, Paul is convinced that evil is trying to bring us back into chaos and disorder and ruin, darkness, death, and you see this all over in your life. And I can't push hard enough to say, if you love the Lord... If you come together as one body, then you will continue to see unity. You will continue to see joy, peace, hope. All these words we throw around, we put them on banners, we get excited about. We see those things in Christ as we're unified through Him. And we see the opposite consistently as evil, as our flesh, as the world tries to bring us back into darkness, into chaos, to disorder. And so as Christians, we need to be looking around saying, hey, where are these things going? Where, where's the chaos at? Where's the disorder at? And how am I living as unified in Christ with other believers? This is the hope for the world. Not just the hope for you, by the way. Hope for the world. If this hope was just for you, then God would save you and pull you away to eternity. Whoop, whoop, you made it out of there. Good job. Glad you, glad you said a prayer. Woohoo! No, you're here because God has a plan and purpose for your life, for his glory, for his kingdom. If you're breathing right now and you believe in Christ, your life is more than the things you're obtaining, the stuff you're pursuing with your time, with your moments, with your leisure activities. Everything is for Christ. 
His kingdom come, His will be done. I'm getting way ahead. We should, uh, we should get to Ephesians 5. Getting excited. In Ephesians 5, Paul has a lot to say kind of about practically what it means to live in this unity, to live as this new humanity. Um, we're going we're gonna to hone in on kind of a beginning few verses. We're going to read a chunk and just let the word bear its weight on us itself. And then we're going to talk about the two verses after it because we don't have time to talk about all of Ephesians 5 right now. There's too much good stuff in there. Stuff about children, about husbands, about wives, about uh, servants, all sorts of things. We don't have time for all that. Um, read Ephesians 5 this week. Right now we're going to start in Ephesians 5 verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love. What does that sound like? The Shema, Deuteronomy 6. The greatest commandment, the Jesus Creed. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul encourages, he pulls us back to, hey, be imitators of God. As beloved children of God, as beloved children. This, this whole idea of being imitators of God is pretty hot on the Hebrew mind and when they're writing things like this because they understood that they were created by God in his image. We sometimes lose that because we get this idea of like, these people are evil and these people are not evil, which is fine. Like people do evil things. But in general, if you were created, if you're existing, if you're breathing right now, God has breathed into you life. Regardless of whether or not you choose to acknowledge him, your animated force that is your life, that makes you exist, is breathed into you by God who created you, who sustains you. And you can choose to trust him, to love him, to give life, or you can choose to keep doing your own thing and rebel against him and be eternally separated from him forever. Those are your options. And so when he's saying being imitators of God, he's calling you back to, hey, this is what you're created for. God created you, and he said it was good. And then we rebelled, we did our own thing, we said we don't want to follow God, we want to follow ourselves. And we all know this, this happens. If you've had, you have kids, man. Like, do you teach your kids to rebel? No, they just do it, right? Like, you don't, you don't uh, man, there are things my kids do sometimes, like, man, I, I don't feel like I taught them that. It just comes out of them. And then they do a lot of things that I do teach them that's terrible as well. But these things come out of us. We naturally want to rebel against our Creator. But the image that we were given was an image of God. An image that creates good things that makes something meaningful of the world. That's who God is. Image of love, of generosity. These are the things we see when we read Genesis 1 through 3. So he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. I think it's so important to hold fast to that because we forget that God loves us. Brendan Manning uh, is a great uh, uh, pastor, speaker, book writer. Uh, he passed recently, but he, uh, he used to overemphasize God's love. He would say, if you just believed God loved you as much as he says he does, your whole life would be different. Everything about you. In fact, Brennan Manning would argue, he'd say, um, God loves you just as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are ever going to be as we should be. And I keep finding in my life that when I believe that God loves me, things look a little bit different in life. I don't have to hide behind my arrogance, my pride, my insecurity of trying to be better, of trying to, to hide this, or trying to, to do these things better. All of a sudden, Love motivates me. We talked a couple weeks ago about how the love of Christ compels us, right? It's the same idea. When you understand how much God loves you, and Paul comes at you, hey, be imitators of God because you're beloved children. Do you believe God loves you? Just as you are, not as you should be, as you are right now. God loves you. Paul goes on to say, and walk in love. 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's a huge gospel theology here that we would love to take 45 minutes to unpack to help us understand this whole idea of fragrant offering, sacrificial gift. Here's the basic understanding. All of us do bad things. I get up here every week and give you some example of what a schmuck I am. You know about it. I do bad things. I struggle. You guys struggle. And we are separated from God because of those things. God can't be who he says he is. Holy, perfect, beautiful, good, wonderful. He can't be those things if he can be directly associated with sin, death, and darkness. It's not possible. It's philosophy, right? It's pretty obvious, right? You mix, pick an analogy here about mixing colors or water and wine or, or water and... Uh, oh, what's the thing? Thank you. Uh, yeah, can't be together, right? It doesn't work. But instead of God saying, no, no, no. You guys are done. You chose, you chose it. You made your bed. You got to lie in it, right? Whose parents have ever said that? There's some other ones that are going through my mind that involve inappropriate church words. But those sort of phrases, you know, like, oh, you've done this. You've got to go lie in your litter box or whatever, right? So that's the idea, right? Instead, of, that's not what God does. God sent his only son, Jesus. God came down to live amongst us to sacrifice for us. And some of you are like, I've heard that a million times. I get it. This verse tells us that it was an offering, a sacrifice to God, fragrant offering, something that pleased God, which sounds really morbid and disgusting to us, human sacrifice. But at the same understanding, who was going to pay that punishment? That was us. We are the ones that were supposed to be eternally separated from God, which is what makes Jesus so beautiful, so wonderful. This is what love is, by the way. You can, you can paint this in all the wrong lights if you want, but in general, every movie that you love, every story that you love that's a love story, that's a rom-com, that's whatever, it involves great sacrifice. Because we understand love to be commitment and sacrifice. Without it, it's selfishness. All of you have experienced a relationship where someone pretended to love you or they pretended to be in love and they weren't. It was all selfish. True love involves great commitment and great sacrifice. That's why the word tells us God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, have everlasting life. God intends to have eternal life with you. Church, this whole thing that we're doing here is being one body, the church, the saints communion, the holy church. This is eternal. This is your family forever. It's eternal. Lasts forever. And instead of getting this idea that it's about me and I've got my other lives going on here or it's just about my personal relationship with Christ, the word calls us in this understanding that we are a community, a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. God wants to live eternally with us. That's how much he loved us. Instead of separating us from him, instead of saying, no, 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 you can't be like me, you, you, you done messed up. He says, no, 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 we fixed it. Jesus was sacrificed for you. That's how much he loves you. And he says, beloved children, reminding him, man, look what Christ has done. Christ is our example. And so he says, walk in love. We see this in Deuteronomy 6. Same idea. Love the Lord. Walk in love connects us to this whole idea of what Jesus said. This is why it's interesting, again, in our culture, movies, songs, everyone wants love. All the great poets, they define it differently oftentimes, but everyone's talking about love. No one sitting in here is like, I don't want love. Love sucks. Right? That's not how it works. We all want love. Everyone wants to love and be loved. It's written on our hearts. It's because we are created in the image of a God who loves. That's what he does. But how do we love? What does that look like? What does that mean? Because for some of us, it's ultimately things that orbit back to us. We worship love, and that understanding of love is ultimately me, what I want. 
And so it's ultimately selfish. This is why we define love as commitment and sacrifice. And so Paul says, walk in love. These next few lines in Ephesians 5 are things that I wish we could spend a lot of time on. We can't. We're going to read through them. But I couldn't avoid them because I feel like someone here needs to hear this. And so we're just going to let the Word of God bear its weight on us. We're going to read uh, a few verses here. I'm going to say a few words, and then we're going to move on to the main verse we want to talk about this morning when we're talking about time and moments. But as Paul's trying to unpack, what does it look like to be in this new humanity? What does your freedom look like? What does it mean to walk in love as Jesus? Here's what he says, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. He's already said walk in love. Second time we walk. We walk as children of the light. What does light do? It lights up stuff, right? It's not a trick question here. Light reveals things, right? If we were all sitting in darkness, that's weird, that's creepy. We wouldn't do a whole church service in the darkness. This is why we have light. Reveals things. We know who's here. We walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a lot of things in these verses, but there's an overall pattern of walking in love and walking in light. We could spend so much time, we're talking about family discipleship, individuals' discipleship. We could talk about covetousness, idolatry, sexual immorality, impurity, crude joking, rude talk, dishonoring people with our lips. We could, t- we could talk about the whole gamut. But you know those things are corrupt. You know those things are wrong. And I want the Word of God to bear its weight on us to say, hey, these, place have, these things have no place. And so, if you're here and you hear those things, you think, you know what? I'm never satisfied with anything. I always want something new. Constantly idolize things, covet other people's stuff. I've got to have it. I want more, more, more. Or you say, you know what, I, I've, got, I've, got, I've got some of that sexual morality, that impurity. That's a huge part of my life, and I don't want anyone to know about it. I'm a part of this, this dishonorable talk, this coarse joking, this way that dishonors other people to lift myself up so I cut people down or do whatever I can with my lips to bring myself up and to squash others. The Word would tell us that has no place in the kingdom of God. And before you say, gasps, I'm the worst person here. I better go bury my head in the sand. Paul says, you're a beloved child of Christ. God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. And these things have no part in being with him. And so we're transformed from these things. The love of God controls us. It compels us. And so I hope as you hear these words, you're convicted by these things. You say, man, this is the time. I need to give these things up. I need to get away from this junk. 
because it's killing me. It's killing my family. There are a few quicker ways to ruin a family, to ruin your credibility with your children, with other people, than to have a constant posture of sexual immorality. Got to gratify my own lust. I'm going to do what I want. I don't want to be faithful to my spouse. I don't want to be faithful to my family. I want more. Teach our kids a posture of nothing's ever satisfying. We've got to buy more, got to have more, got to get more. Nothing's ever good enough. Or to keep, teach everyone around us. No, no, no. We've got, we got to be rude. We've got to cut people down with our words. We've got to dishonor them. And the reason Paul comes out of the shoot with these things is because they have no reflection of King Jesus. It doesn't look anything like love. All of these things take. We've taught the youth this a lot. It's important for you to hear. If you're into pornography, sexual morality, impurity, anything like this, it's all taking. It's mine. It's for me. I'm going to fulfill what I want. If you're into this coarse joking, this gossip, this crude talk, it's all taking for yourself. I'm going to get the moment for me. I'm going to bring myself above everyone else and cut all the idiots down. It's all taking. Covetousness, idolatry, it's taking for yourself. And love is about commitment and sacrifice. So these things can't be a part of it because you walk in love. And if you walk as a child of the light, then you expose these things. They're darkness. And Paul reminds you, no, no, hey, you, you're a child of the light. You're a beloved child. You can't walk in these things. Can't spend more time on that. Verse 15. Look carefully how you walk because we're walking in love. We're walking as children of the light. And now we've got to walk carefully, Right? Because all this junk's out there. Chaos, disorder, darkness. Walk carefully. Not as unwise, but wise. Making the best of the time because the days are evil. This is the ESV version that we got up there. Making the best of the time. Other translations say, do you know what it says? Making the best of the time. It says what? To redeem the time. Whoa. The Greek phrase here, uh, I memorized it and then forgot this moment, so it doesn't matter. But the Greek idea, the word here, is to literally buy back. It was a market exchange word. You are purchasing back time. Someone else owns it, and you're buying it back. Who owns it? Because the days are evil. Man, this idea gets me pumped. Paul is convinced that there is evil corruption and darkness in the world that's ripping it apart and bringing chaos. And because you are a child of the light then you get to redeem the time. You get to walk into this and say, I'm going to buy this back in the name of Jesus Christ. Not today. You're not going to take my family with your sexual morality. You're not going to take, take these coarse joking, this, this junk, all this stuff that pulls us away from love. You can't have it. I'm going to redeem it because of Jesus Christ. This is what you're called to, to redeem the time. And as we start talking about practically what it looks like to do time and moments. Discipleship. We're talking about time and moments. We're talking about redeeming the time. You buy it back. And it's interesting in the world of the Bible because we already live like this, but we don't apply it to Christ. We believe that we possess time. We did a whole series on this last year. But we had this idea that time is our own. That, that I earn my time, right? We earn our vacation time. That, that if I uh, take this supplement, then I'll be healthy enough so I'll have more time to do stuff. If I do enough squats, then my knees will be healthy and I'll be able to squat and pick up my kids. We all, this idea of buying back time and health. We believe we possess these things. But the healthiest, most granola people get brain cancer and die. None of us know when our time's up. We don't control that at all. All of us have a story of someone who died abruptly and sadly. We don't control these things, but we talk about it as if we do. 
That is chaos and darkness and evil. Evil wants to get into your mind and say, hey, you know what? You've got to control this. You can be like God. So everything in your life, I've got to control time. And it all just brings chaos, disorder, darkness over and over. You trying to control it. But Paul says, in Christ we redeem the time because the days are evil. We're taking it away from darkness. We're bringing light into the world. He says we do that thing by walking in love. Being careful how we walk, walking as children of the light, walking in love. This is all the posture of love. This is discipleship. That's why we started with modeling, right? We say we're going to do modeling, moment, time, um, whatever the other one is. talk about next week. But we're going to be doing these four things, right? And I said we could pick any words. It doesn't matter. The overall goal is to get all of us to be thinking about what does it mean to live like Jesus in every part of my life? And we started with the crux of it being love. If we're not loving like the Lord, we don't have a shot. If we don't know the Lord, who is love, we don't have a shot. And so we started with that, and now we're looking at what it means to have time and moments. We're going to get really practical here. We're going to talk about, when we're talking about time, I think we've got a slide that has to, ah, look at that. Uh, Who here really hates Comic Sans font? Raise your hand. I picked that for you. All of you who despise it, that was a super intentional, I normally use a, Optivia, Optima, whatever it is. I normally use that one because it's a modern font in Microsoft Word. This one is not. It's way down the list on modern. But now you'll pay attention because you hate that font. Here's what I mean when we talk about time, right? Again, all of this is saying how do we be disciples of Jesus? How are we covered with the dust of his sandals? How do we live like him? I get up here, I get really excited, I push on this because we're going to forget. We're going to struggle. So we've encapsulated this into this pill that we can swallow up. Say, okay, let's think about modeling. Let's think about time. Let's think about moments. Let's think about milestones, right? But ultimately, we could flush all those words and say the ultimate goal here is to take all of your life and hold it accountable to King Jesus. Say, how do I love him with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength? How do I love others? That's all we're talking about, right? When we say time, we're talking about creating intentional discipleship time in our life, moments, capturing discipleship moments in our lives. These are different. Uh, obviously, we're mincing words here because it's like time and moments, what's the difference, right? Those of you who are in philosophy are like, this is ridiculous, David. They're different if you have a family, if you live in the real world, if you have a job, Things are different. And we're talking about time. What we're simply talking about is you need to take intentional time for discipleship to follow the Lord. Because if you don't have an intentional rhythm, posture of seeking these things, your kids are going to have no idea. Discipleship doesn't happen accidentally. Maybe sometimes it does if you have the other intentional parts there. But very rarely is someone just sitting around and your kid says, Oh, I want to follow Jesus. No, no, there's a posture. There's something they're seeing there. And, and very rarely have you been just sitting there watching Netflix and you decide, oh, I should love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? We have to take intentional time for these things. And that can look very different for different people. But when we're talking about time, we're saying, hey, craft intentionality into your life because we've already said you're going to forget it. You're going to struggle with these things. And some of you have been sitting here and you've been doing the church thing your whole life. You might think you've got to lock on these sort of things, which is great. I'm glad you're the best person in the room. But let's be honest. If other people observe your life, where does your time, your money, your love, your attention go? Does it reflect that you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or does it reflect that you love yourself, your hobbies, your bank account? Like, come on. This is why we talk about this. Because it's
We're all here together. There you go. Hey, hoppa! Oh, man. There's the dub clip. You need intentional time in your life. You know this. You've heard people say things like, read the Bible every day, do a devotion, do a Bible study. We'll have practical things here in a minute. We can mention about that. I want to encourage, when you think about discipleship, think about the time in your life and how you intentionally craft that time into your life. If you have a family... How are you intentionally doing that? This is why in our church we have things like the discipleship questions through New City Catechism that we do every week. We're trying to give you at least a once a week small tablet posture to say, hey, oh, I can take this, this small pill every once a week. We're going to read scripture and ask this question. Our family's going to memorize it together. It's a small thing. Why? Because you might not have that intentional posture. And some things are difficult. They're new. It's hard to do. Man, the first time you work out after you haven't worked out for a while, you're sore, it's disgusting, you realize, oh my gosh, I can't squat anymore. It's awful, right? So you're like, yeah, I know what that's about. It sucks. And you, it's bad. And so then you come into this, and you, some of you caught that I said sucks, and I got embarrassed over it. Anyway, so it's a bad deal. You got to keep doing it. These things are difficult. So we're trying to give these intentional times. This is why during Advent we say, hey, here's an Advent box for your family. Here's Advent activities. Here's a Lent devotional you can do. We're trying to provide these things so you can craft this intentional time. Jesus himself, he took time away. He left to be alone to spend time with the Lord. He left to be alone to spend time to pray. You need this time in your life. How many of you have ever had a day where you're like, gosh, where did the last four hours go? How did I eat this whole tub of chunky monkey ice cream and watch the first three seasons of Friends? Whoa, like it happens. Where did the time go? It's Thursday all of a sudden. You're like, what happened to Monday and Tuesday? Time, man. We've got to make these intentional times. If you have a family, your kids have to see this. How do your kids observe you making intentional time? What do they see you making intentional time for? If someone else looks at your life, what would they observe and say, hey, this person really fights for time to do these things. Drinking a six-pack and watching the game. That's what this guy loves. He's all about it. Got to get that Miller Lite and that game in. Know what I mean? Now, come on. How do we spend our times? When we talk about moments, we're talking about uh, creating moments because we have moments in our life that is an intentional time. You have moments that happen that don't seem overly spiritual, right? You eat lunch. You drive to work. You tie your left shoe and then your right shoe. There are moments that happen in life. There are moments that happen in your life that you don't even control. Some idiot decides to do that idiot thing on the road that makes you mad and say they're an idiot, right? These are moments that you're not, they're not intentional time. You didn't set time aside to be hyper-religious while idiots are driving on their idiot roads and their idiot ways. You know what I mean, right? And so you have these moments. How are you taking those moments and pointing them to the Lord if you don't have intentional time with the Lord? you're not growing in a posture loving him, then these moments will go by. But otherwise, you have these moments to turn things to the Lord and say, hold on, everything is a king in a kingdom. What does it mean to be an accountant in Christ? What does it mean to own a web design business in Christ? What does it mean to do carpet in Christ? What does it mean to raise my kids when they're losing their mind because they look at each other at breakfast in Christ? These are all real examples There's a time to sit with your kids and hold hands and pray and do these intentional times, but there's also a time to chuck nuggets at them and transport them places and take a moment to say, hey, how was your day? What what, what can we take this moment and redeem this time to say there's actually the light of Christ in everything we're doing? This is what we're talking about with time moments. Three, uh, Three keys to this. I've got three C's. 
This is a big pastor moment for me. I hope you're excited. Three points, three C's, and uh, five enemies of this, and then we're going to wrap up. I want to get really practical with these things. How do we walk in love as children of the light to redeem the time in Christ? What does that look like? Um, Oh, he's already ahead of me. Look at that. We have to have consistency right? Someone told me recently, they said, hey, the reason our life group has existed so long is because it consistently meets. It's like, whoa, that's a really obvious thought, but it's an interesting thought. The reason we continually gather is because we continually gather. But it's a brilliant thought because we've had in our church, those of you who've been here a while, we've struggled with life groups, right? We've struggled to say, oh, how do we get this life group? What do we reach with this kid? What do we do with these these age groups? This person's 19, they don't have a life group anymore. What are we going to do, right? If we have consistency, there's something to connect to. In your family, in your mornings, in your time that you're trying to redeem, find consistency. Don't be heroes about it. Don't be the person that says, I haven't ran in three years. It's marathon time. We know those people. They're ridiculous, right? New Year rolls around. They say, I'm going to run three miles every day. Bob, you haven't ran since 1993, dude. Like, come on. Like, get real with yourself. No, we're talking about something simple. Walk into New City Catechism with us every week consistently answer that in your family. Pray with your kids before you go to bed. It's a simple thing. Ask them, hey, what do you want to pray about? What are your highs and lows? Something my family does. Uh, I think the Loring's taught us that. Highs and lows. And actually, our family has highs, lows, middle, and chestnut. And it's because Bear is a weird kid, and he wants to give us his high and low, and his middle, which I don't know what that is. He just says something. And then his chestnut is the newest thing, which is Literally whatever he says after that. So Bear has four categories. It doesn't matter, though. The point is, you're consistently having opportunities with your family. Those of you who know Bear, you're looking at me like, yeah, that's a Bear thing to do. Ask him what his chestnut is every day. <laughs> Getting fired up. We do this consistent with consistency. We do it creatively because we need to be creative. God created us to create good things together. And sometimes these things are hard. How do you create these moments in life? How do you create this time? We have to have a posture of creativity. If you have no idea how to insert these things in your life, there are two people I want you to talk to in our, if you've got a family. If you've got a family, like I have no idea how my family walks through discipleship, ask Miss Carrie, ask Miss Bridget. Those people just, um, uh, Miss Debbie, those people just, just exude. Keith, gosh, they have the most creative ways to connect our kids to the Lord. It's a posture that comes out of them right? And they do it in their families. Recently, my wife ran across some sort of a bloggy, mommy, Christian-y thing, and it talked about prayer sticks, because our family is hyper-aware of things going on in our church, and so we end up with, like, how do we pray about 35 things at dinner time? So, she inserted prayer sticks. We have these prayer sticks with things to write on it. Each kid pulls one. We pray for those. They get turned upside down, and then we cycle through them, right? And so, it's fine if you don't get it, but that was a creative thing my wife did to say, hey, we need our kids to have a posture of prayer, but they can't get overwhelmed with praying for 30 things every night at dinner, right? We have to do these things with consistency, with creativity, and collectively. You need the church. I mentioned people already to talk to because you need the church. We can't do this on our own. We're going to fail. We're going to struggle with our consistency. You need me up here talking about it way past time because we need to be reminded of it because we're going to forget about it. We need each other. There's five enemies to these things. I'm going to blow through these. I think they're really important. I couldn't get past them. What are things that just completely ruin our discipleship and our families with those around us? Misplaced loves. People observe your life and they see you love everything else but the Lord. This is an honest question you ask yourself today. What do I love? Where does my time, energy, and money go towards? What do I love? In a family, do your kids observe that you're loving the Lord? Does your spouse observe your love in the Lord? Second one would be weak marriages. Man, 
We don't get to preach on marriage too much because it's exclusive sometimes, but it's important to know this. If your marriage is struggling, your kids know it and the church knows it because we need you. Your marriage teaches us about the love of Christ. Hear that. And if your marriage is broken and falling apart and there's no love in it, if it's super cold because you guys have grown apart and you don't have any care for each other in the world, or it's super hot and all you're ever doing is fighting and yelling and tearing each other apart, it's affecting the church, it's affecting your family. Everyone's seeing it. That's the way God set it up. Marriage gives us a picture of the relationship Christ wants to have with us. That's why you see this marriage language all over the Bible. If you have a weak marriage... It's very difficult, near impossible, to follow the Lord, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it's messing up your family. So let's help, because you can't do it alone. We do this collectively. Let me know. Let us know how we can help you. Misplaced love, weak marriages, non-present presence. Man, get off your phone. Like, this is convicting to me. I've been thinking about this. How often am I present with my family, with other people, and I'm not present at all? Hello, I'm a millennial. That's what we do, right? I am absorbed in my phone. How many times I've been watching a movie with my kids, and my kids would be like, hey, Dad, watch this. Dad, are you watching? It's like, no, I'm not watching. I'm working. Like, I'm with you. No, they know. Present. And they, not just kids. It's every, everyone wants a hit on parents. This is all of us. How are you being present with the Lord? Or is every small distraction there? Your watch goes off. Your phone goes off. You don't have any presence. Lack of intentionality, we already talked about that, right? If you're not intentional with these things, you have to craft these things into your life. The last, uh, the last enemy of all this is doing it alone. Pride, arrogance, insecurity. Some of you are going to walk out of here and say, I need to read a chapter of the Bible every day. Oorah. I'm just going to go do it. Oh, right? And you're going to struggle and fail. And then what do you do? Because it's just you. I'm going to be the best parent. I'm going to do the prayer sticks that David talked about. I'm going to use some of these resources that are about to be up on the screen. And I'm going to get after it. And you're going to fail. There's going to be a morning where you, you completely biff it. What do you do? You come to the church. We grow together. We fail together because we're one body. And we support each other. Your weakness is our weakness. Your strength is our strength. This is the whole idea of 1 Corinthians 12. Read it. We're one body together. How are you walking in love? as a child of the light, to redeem the time. You're not alone in this. We're doing this together. Joe, we throw up that screen of resources? Yeah, I'm going to talk about a few of these things real quick, and then we're going to move into a time of response. Um, don't come up yet, Scott. I'll tell you when to come up. Don't get excited. Thank you. Um, so these are a few resources that we have. This is our discipleship table. Uh, you know, it's a heavy name, but maybe that scares some of you to come to it because it's the discipleship table. But it's a, it's a table of resources to love the Lord and love others. How's that, right? Here are a few that I wanted to highlight today. The Bible recap. My wife, every morning, wakes up and goes and works out. First of all, let's understand that. You need to know this about my wife. Most mornings, my wife wakes up at 4.30 in the morning and goes and works out. Gross, Right? Like, come on, who needs to be awake that early? If you would have told me 10 years ago that I was marrying that person, I would have bet our entire student debt on that. Like, there is no way I would have believed she did that. But she does. She wakes up. And then when she gets home, right, she sits down and she pops open the Bible recap. It's, uh, I can't think of the gal's name. She always opens a podcast with, hey, Bible readers. I can't remember her name right now. Oh, that would be cool if I could remember it. But those of you who are watching at home, you know, that, oh, you know her name. But something, Coble, you don't care. 
Every morning she has an eight-minute podcast about going through Scripture. She reads the Bible every year. She's on her fourth year doing it, and she has an eight-minute podcast about what she read. Now, if you've ever read through the Bible and you die in the desert of Leviticus, then you understand, man, I don't know what to do with Leviticus 13. There's a lot of weird laws in there, a lot of weird stuff. There's some stuff in Leviticus that you don't want to read to your kids that you'll be blown away that's in the Bible. But it's cool to have a gal for eight minutes tell you, hey, here's actually how this connects to the gospel, right? There's one avenue right now. If you're saying, hey, I don't know how to redeem the time in my life, Check it out. It looks just like that. You can go to your podcast app right now. Type in the Bible re- Recap. You can Google it. It's there. The Bible Project, we play videos here of the Bible Project all the time. They have a podcast. It'll blow your socks off. Got all sorts of stuff in there, but they're videos. If you want to read through the book of Romans, watch the Bible Project video and then start kind of walking through it, right? These are ways that you can carve intentional time into it. We do in the New City Catechism, that's our discipleship questions every week. You guys are familiar with that. Gospel DNA is sitting over here on this table. If you're in this room and you're like, you know what? I've just really needed to get with this person and talk about the Lord. JR and I, every Friday, get together. If you don't know JR, you should. He's a legit guy. We get together every Friday and we go through Gospel DNA. It's a discipleship resource. And the whole idea is after 18, 19 weeks, then you go out and you grab other people and you disciple them. Those of you who are in the church, you've heard of this math before, right? If I lead someone to Christ every day, that's 365 people a year, right? But if we as a church make disciples, then uh, two become four, four become eight, eight becomes 16, 16 becomes 32, then it gets really complicated because math is hard, but you understand, it multiplication, right? This is the idea of go and make disciples. And so if you're trying to, how do I make disciples? I'm a mature believer. I've been reading the Bible my whole life. I just don't know how to make disciples. Grab that. It's on this table over here. Grab a few people from work and say, hey, you got 18 weeks. Every other week or so, we'll sit and we'll read and talk about the Bible. It does it for you. You read it, you talk about it. It's a beautiful thing. JR and I have been going through it. I can't emphasize it enough. Family discipleship. This whole idea of modeling time, moments, and milestones is in this book called Family Discipleship. The Village Church went through this in 2015. It's a big church in Texas, Matt Chandler. And then recently, him and his buddy wrote this book about it. It's very helpful. It has very practical things, uh, well beyond what I can get into on how you can incorporate these things in your life. If you've got a family and you're trying to figure out how do we insert discipleship at any age, young kids, medium kids, old kids, my kids are long gone. Now, you can, you can FaceTime them every couple weeks and talk about this. Grab that book. It's over here. The reason I emphasize these things is because we so often don't know how to redeem the time. We don't know how to do it. We're busy. You've got, you've got band practice and ballet practice and dance practice and soccer practice and ice skating practice. You're going. You've got work. Work goes late. We're supposed to be the light, walking in love, walking light, redeem the time. How are we doing that? This is why we talk about time and moments. As we think about what it looks like to walk in love, as we move into a time response, Scott, you can come forward now and do that. As we walk into a time response, I want us to be thinking about what, how am I redeeming the time? I don't possess time. You don't own nothing. All your stuff is future garage sale. All your time will be gone at some moment. You got nothing. So first of all, just acknowledge how am I opening my hands and trusting the Lord? How am I doing that? But also... How am I redeeming the time? What does this look like? What does family discipleship look like for me, for my kids? What does this look like as, as a married couple? As we walk into the response time, I want us to be asking these questions. And maybe you need to give your life to the Lord. Maybe you need to join a church that says, hey, we need to do this together. Collectively, we do this together. Maybe this is your time to join the church. But maybe this is your time to grab your kids, grab your spouse, grab a close friend, and pray with them and say, hey, I want to redeem the time. I'm a child of the light. I want to walk in love as Jesus Christ, and and we want to figure out how to do this together.
take this time during response to pray about that, to pray about what the Lord's doing and how we redeem this time through these resources. What does it look like to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we gather. And as we drill in and have all these words and thoughts about following you, all these practical ways we're doing, God, we ultimately just want to open our hands to you and say, we believe that you have all authority, King Jesus, that you have all authority and that you're with us always. We want to be your disciples. God, I pray that you would move us to be doing that, to be seeking you, to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. God, we trust you. I pray as a church you would give us that posture, posture of discipleship that goes out and continues to make disciples while being disciples ourselves. God, we give you this time. I pray that your spirit would move and guide us towards the decisions we need to make. We love you, Father.